The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We know that you want to live an inspired and fulfilling life. Maybe there are a few things that you need to get you there. Welcome to What Matters with your host, Mary Beth Lodge. In today's world of distractions, we can get overwhelmed with day-to-day responsibilities that keep us busy, frustrated, and confused. With an emphasis on the power of the mind and drawing on the fields of personal health, education, neuroscience, business, and spirituality, we'll discuss practical strategies to help you stay focused on your priorities, choices, and results. Now, here is Mary Beth Lodge. Good morning. How are you today? Thank you for joining me today on What Matters. Today is an opportunity for you to make a difference. That's right. Can you do that? Can you find a way to make a positive difference in your world today? Maybe it's a change that you make within yourself, and that change carries ripples of positive change into the lives of those around you and well beyond. You know that no matter what the change is that you make, it doesn't matter what little thing you do today. It makes a difference. It reverberates through the lives of the people around you. Yes, a simple smile, a change in perspective, a change in attitude, all of that reflects across all of the people that you come in contact with today. So no matter how little it is, it makes a difference. For this one hour, I'm asking you to pay attention, really listen, and actually today we're going to play, so it'll be fun to listen. You are the co-creator of the world you live in, so if there is something that you find disturbing, it is your responsibility to create a change. So how can you change the things that you want to change? How do you apply what you've learned today to you? Not your significant other, your best friend, your child, your parent, or your coworker. Just you. You can share information with other people, but ultimately, you are the person that you can really change. You are the only person that has the responsibility for your co-creation of the world. Do you see, if you make a change within yourself, it impacts every life you touch. So it's not by telling somebody what they should be doing. That doesn't change them, and it doesn't change you. When you take action in your world and within yourself, you become the being of light that you hope for this world. And yes, I know you're busy. I'm busy too. Busy doesn't mean that we can't be responsible for the things that we have co-created in this world. Busy means we're distracted. Busy means we're not paying attention. So I'm asking you to pay attention today. You can be busy and still stay connected to your light. You can be busy and still stay grounded to the people 
and the values and the actions that mean the most to you and to the people around you? What are the choices that you make in your world? When you decide how you are going to spend your time, do you really reflect on the impact that that decision has? How do you touch the lives of the people that you meet? And do you create sunshine wherever you are? This morning, I have to make sunshine because it is a gray and cloudy winter day. Once again, we're back into winter. So let's start by making our own sunshine. What are you grateful for today? You know, I am reflecting on the gift of time. And I am grateful for time. I just had a a small little experiment with time and trying to get one more thing done before I started this show. Okay, I didn't quite finish it. It doesn't matter. It was a menial little task. It can wait. But it made me realize that I have just the time I need. It's how I prioritize my use of that time. And I'm given that gift. I'm given that choice. And for that, I am grateful. I'm also grateful for time because it offers me the opportunity to be present in this moment, to truly appreciate the people that are with me in this time, and to truly appreciate things of every moment, to be mindful of every moment. And I suppose in some ways I'm very, very grateful that I received several emails this week about um, a great hypnotist who died this week. And it, it ran through the hypnosis community very, very quickly, like wildfire. And every email said the same thing. Take a moment to appreciate the people around you. Take a moment to truly treasure the time you are given now. Because it can change. And I like that lesson. I like that awareness. I like to be brought back to that moment so that I don't get unconscious in my day. And I wish that for you as well. As you look around your world today, really take a moment to appreciate the time you have with each and every person in your life. Now, this morning, I want to talk again about the brain. I am so fascinated with the brain. But this time, I want to talk about the playful brain. My information, for the most part, is taken from a book called The Playful Brain. It was written several years ago by Richard Riestack, um, who is a physician, um, in conjunction with Scott Kim, who created all of the puzzles in the book. And it is a puzzle book like no other puzzle book. It's not just the puzzles, but it's the explanation of how each puzzle is helping to develop some aspect of your brain. Now, just because I don't want to talk about dry material of how the brain works or how the brain develops, I want to play. So I'm going to give you, first of all, a puzzle. Okay, so here we go. Two five-letter words. That's right. Fill out five little lines on your piece of paper. And the only difference between the two is the last letter. So the first five-letter word ends in the letter P. 
And the second five-letter word ends in the letter H. The first four letters are all the same. Go ahead, work on that while I talk. Okay, so let's talk about brain function. Let's talk about your brain and how it works and how you can make it work better. Because you want your brain to work better, don't you? You want to be able to think clearly and to think quickly. And you want to feel sharp. You want to feel like, I've got this. Well, there are ways that you can improve your brain function in all areas of your brain. Now, some of us have strong points. We have areas where we're really good. Maybe we have really good short-term memory or really good long-term memory, but our, you know, the other one isn't so good. Or maybe we have really good facial recognition, but, you know, we can't remember the grocery list. Or <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, we have different ways. Maybe we can, um, we can see pictures in our mind and we can uh, create shapes and rearrange objects in our mind. Or maybe we're really good at words and, you know, you can sit down and do a crossword puzzle in 20 minutes and you just are able to really bring those things up. We all have different areas that we're well-developed in in our brain and we have other areas that we're not so good at. But, you know, you can improve the areas that aren't so good and you can bring balance and actually um, accelerate some of the abilities that you already have. So what are ways that we can do that? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that we can create a stronger brain by doing two things every single day. So you know how you... Have you exercise your body in some way? You walk, you go to the gym, you do something, and that's the healthy thing. We have to do the same thing for your brain. You have to exercise your brain. And so in exercising your brain, you do two things. You learn something new every day. And I'm not talking about you learn somebody's name. Okay, I'm not talking about that you learn something more about something you already know. Mm-mm. That's building. That's not bad. That's building on existing nerve pathways. And that's fine. You should do that. But that's not what I'm talking about. For improving brain function, the thing that you learn each day needs to involve a stretch. It can't be something familiar. It needs to really push you to stop and think and to struggle it out a little bit. It needs to be a challenge. So, that learning has to involve either frustration or challenge, something that stretches you. So it's if you think about it, it's just like physical training. You know, when you're in physical training, you don't do the same thing every day over and over and over again. Your muscles don't develop. That's fine for toning. That's fine for staying in shape. But if you want to strengthen your muscles, if you want to improve your muscles, you have to work them. And the same is true for the brain. There's nothing about the physical body that we can't apply to the brain. If you work an organ, if you work a muscle, it gets stronger. So if you work the brain, it gets stronger. It develops. It becomes more than what you had before. Isn't that amazing? Don't you love that? And it's such a simple idea. So, you know, uh, for A long time, I've had clients who retire and start to take classes at college again, even though they have a degree, even though they have no purpose 
in needing another degree. They just do it for the expansion of the mind. And some of my clients have even um, done things like studying foreign language, maybe a foreign language that they had once a long time ago, but they're really challenging themselves to take it to an advanced level. That's one way to look at it. I always think of the the um, the basic education that used to be required when everyone learned Latin. Latin wasn't about learning Latin. Latin was about learning to learn. And it was that same concept. It was challenging the brain to make sense of something nonsensical and to learn how to learn because it was straight memorization. It was straight memory retrieval. It was straight um, association. And eventually, because it wasn't a spoken language, eventually it was just kind of a way of categorizing things and teaching the brain to organize. Latin was a wonderful foundation to do all of those things. Well, this is again what I'm talking about. When you want to improve your brain, force yourself, push yourself, just like you push yourself to go work out, just like you push yourself to get to the gym, push yourself to learn something that is unfamiliar to you each and every day. And second thing that you must do if you want to truly improve your brain function, is to do something scary every day. That's right. Something you're hesitant to do, something you resist, something that's just a little frightening or a little intimidating. Do that every day. This is incredibly important. Because here's what typically happens when we get scared about something. We stop. We freeze. We don't do it. Okay, so if we're afraid to take on a task, if we're afraid to attempt something, we stop. And we, oh, I'll go research it for a little while longer. Oh, um, maybe I need to study some more. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. When we do that, we are reinforcing the brain's pattern of responding to fear with paralysis which means that you'll never get to your goals because there's going to be a point somewhere along that journey to get to your goal that's challenging, frightening, or intimidating. If you will do the opposite, if you will do something scary every day, you will teach the brain to respond to fear with action. Now, these two concepts that I just talked about, they're not my originals. These come from um, a video blog that Ruth Brzezinski from the National Institute for the Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine uh, put together this last week. And they are doing their brain series again. I would encourage you that if you're fascinated by the brain, go on the Nicobom website and, and sign up. It's every Wednesday at, I don't know, 5 o'clock, I think, on um, Eastern Time. And you can listen to a one-hour lecture on the functions of the brain. There's all kinds of different things. And it's very interesting. And it, it's a wonderful way to continue to learn about your brain. And both of these concepts come from something she described. 
Now, I like to go back to that concept of teaching the brain to respond to fear with action. Do you see, if you begin to lay in pathways, and remember that learning something new means that there will be frustration or challenge, and responding to fear with action, there will be frustration or challenge, you will lay in a deeper level of nerve cells, neuronal pathways. And that deep level that you lay in means that you're more likely to respond to fear with action. So the more you do it, the more likely you're to respond that way till eventually it becomes automatic for you that when something is fear-provoking, that you see and take action. So problem-solving, the whole point of the book of the playful brain is to teach problem-solving through puzzles. And if you think about it, if we, if what I just said, if you do something scary every day, it teaches the brain to respond to fear with action. Well, if you, if you work on puzzles every day, if you push yourself to, to do puzzles, to read puzzles, to solve puzzles, you are teaching your brain to solve problems in life. Does that make sense to you? The more that you use puzzles as a way to teach your brain problem solving and teach your brain different methods and areas to problem solve, the more that you are able to respond to life problems with resilience. So literally, you are creating emotional resilience because you have the ability to see things differently. Puzzles force you to do this. You have the ability to see many options or possible solutions because puzzles will teach you to do this. And you will have the ability to tolerate a longer time in the attempt to resolve or solve the problem before overwhelm occurs. Let me say that again. The more that you will allow yourself to work on a puzzle until you get the solution, the more that your ability in life to work on a problem until you get to the solution or to work on a goal until you get to where you want to be, the the longer that your brain tolerates that because you're training your brain to be persistent to persist even if it's frustrating, to try different solutions even if they don't work and to learn from them. Those are all very, very important things in life, don't you think? So so when you work on a puzzle, you are actually teaching yourself to cope with life better. Isn't that wonderful? And why aren't we doing that with our children? Of course we should do that with our children. We should teach them these same skills that we ourselves learn through solving puzzles. And it can be any kind of puzzles. Understand? Any type of puzzle, anything that requires you to really figure it out. And I can, I can hear you groaning, okay? I can hear you saying, oh, word puzzles, I hated them in school. I know. It's because it challenged you. So can you look at that in a new way? Can you look at that as brain training? Can you look at that as life skill training? Can you look at it as a positive? That's right. Okay, 
Do you want another puzzle before we go to break? Six square pieces of paper. Sticky notes will do. And arrange those pieces of paper so that each sheet overlaps above on the top only one sheet of paper and overlaps below on the bottom only one piece of paper. You cannot fold it, bend it, or cut it. So six pieces of paper arranged so that one sheet, the one piece overlaps only one sheet on the top and one sheet on the bottom. Go ahead, play with it. I promise later you'll get the solution. We're going to take a short break now. You're listening to the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you dehydrated? Dehydration is a primary reason for daytime fatigue and can dramatically slow down your metabolism. Just a 1-2% to drop in body water can impair your mental focus, concentration, and physical performance. Beverages that contain caffeine such as colas, coffee, or tea actually stimulate fluid loss and promote dehydration. Today's modern lifestyles have also led to dangerously low levels of essential minerals and electrolytes for the vast majority of people. Highly esteemed Nobel Prize winner Dr. Linus Pauling said, You can trace every sickness, every disease, and every ailment to a mineral deficiency in the body. Now more than ever, we need mineral-rich alkaline water to help protect our bodies from many of today's growing health problems. Are you ready to make a change? Go to HydrateFeelGreat.com and get your free trial of this amazing product you simply add to water. Let us help you discover the difference this mineral-rich alkaline water can make in your health. Again, that's HydrateFeelGreat.com for your free trial. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to What Matters with Mary Beth Lodge. To be a part of our discussion on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to MaryBethLodge at gmail.com. Now, back to What Matters. Good morning. Thank you for joining me this morning on What Matters. We've been talking about the puzzled brain and how puzzles and other challenges like that create a stronger mind, a stronger brain. And I talked earlier about, you know, that puzzles will help you create emotional resilience, the ability to see things differently, the ability to see many options or possible solutions, and the tolerance to try out solutions until you find one that really works. Well, I want to talk now about memory, because we're all worried about memory. And, you know, as we get a little older, we start to give ourselves the excuses that, you know, well, you know, when you get older, you lose your memory. Well, that's not true. It's not, there is no evidence that that has to be the case. But what happens is we stop challenging ourselves, we stop forcing ourselves to learn, and we stop requiring our brain to work as efficiently as it used to. And so as a result of that, yeah, we do start to show some deficit in memory, but we don't have to do that. 
Let's talk about memory. There are two types of memory. Of course, the short-term or working memory and the long-term memory. In the short-term or working memory, that's a requirement by the brain that it has to juggle or um, retrieve many different pieces of information at the same time to bring an awareness so that you can answer a question. So, in other words, if you have misplaced your keys, your brain will begin to do many, many different images all at once, and you might not even be aware of that, or you might be. You might start to to do this very consciously. If you misplace your keys, what do you do? Typically, you go in your mind and you start to think back, when did you last have your keys? What did you do next? Where did you go? And you kind of backtrack through all the places you were until you locate your keys. And usually... The reason that you misplaced your keys is because you were inattentive. You were not paying attention. You were doing something unconsciously. You set your keys down in a place that you do not typically set them down, but you were not aware of doing so. So in working memory, you have to retrieve several things at the same time. And working memory is important because working memory is the most important component in how we measure intelligence. Because truly, intelligence is the ability to retrieve information from our own mind, from our memory, from our experience. And so if we are good at retrieving a lot of information and doing it quickly, we measure that as being more intelligent. If we're not so good at at retrieving a lot of information, we actually then begin to show poor comprehension in reading. We show um, an inability to understand directions appropriately, or we misunderstand or misread instructions because our brains aren't bringing in lots of information at one time. Our brain doesn't retrieve information at one time. Now, this is training. Anyone can be taught to do this. And unless you have had a brain injury or um, some kind of damage to the brain, the brain is perfectly capable of doing this. But if we do not train the brain to do this, it won't. Our memory, our working memory, is based on many different types of recall. So it's not just about being able to visually recall something. It's also the ability to recall things that are spoken or how something feels or a movement. You know, many, many times you, in the beginning, learn to do something and you're focusing on the movement. And then that movement becomes automatic. It moves and there's two different um types of memory in here. I don't need to bother you with those, but you know, it moves from directive memory, meaning that you're um, you're present in what you're doing. You're remembering how to do it, you're doing it, you're you're paying attention to it, to uh, procedural memory, which is simply that the brain takes on a particular action, a particular movement, and you don't have to think about it. I had the experience one time, I am not a swimmer. I don't know how to swim. I wasn't raised around water. I don't have a lot of access to water. And at the time, actually, as a child, I was frightened by water, and so I was very resistant to ever being in water. I had some friends who were going to go do something that involved being in water, 
And it, um, I think it was whitewater rafting or something like that. And my question when, you know, they were all like, you'll be fine. You'll have a life, you'll have a life jacket on. You'll be fine. You know, um, you just, if you get thrown out of the raft, you just point your feet, uh, downstream and, you know, go until you stop. Well, doesn't that sound so simple? And my question was, how do you do that? I had no comprehension of how to move my body in water so as to point my feet down downstream. I don't know how to move my body. And the person I was asking, who um, not only was a swimmer but was at one point a competitive swimmer, um, looked at me and said, I don't know. <laughs> there was no way to describe the answer because the memory of how to swim, the movement of how to swim was not in that place of being able to describe it it was in the place of just doing it automatically that's the difference you see in memory is that your working memory has kind of those components of what you consciously think through but also what you do automatically now in hypnosis we talk about that as conscious mind and subconscious mind it doesn't matter how we describe it the point is that that is how the brain works so if you want to improve your short-term or working memory, there are some wonderful games that you can play. Some of them involve strengthening the ability for immediate recall. You can do this with a deck of cards. Very, very simple. The book, The Playful Brain, actually has um, uh, embedded into the entire book is a a puzzle to improve short-term memory. At the bottom right-hand corner of every page is a letter. And you decide on a particular trigger letter like the letter B. And every time you see the B, you recall out loud the letter you saw two pages before. You can do the same thing with the deck of cards. Decide on a particular um, card that when it comes up, you recall the card that you saw two before. So it's called N-2 or N-2 back. So you would be dealing out the deck of cards and you would look at each of the cards and say um, anytime a queen came up, you would recall out loud the card that you saw two times, two cards before. And you just keep doing that over and over and over again. You shuffle the deck, you start again, or you decide on a new trigger card and you do it again. So what you're doing there is you're strengthening the ability to keep more than one item in your mind at any time because you have to keep remembering and changing the two cards that you just saw. Again, this is a way to strengthen and it's a fun little thing you can do anytime but it's a way to strengthen short-term memory. Now, long-term memory requires attention, it requires awareness, and it requires repetition. You have to keep repeating something in order for long-term memory to be available. You can't just look at something, study it, know it for now. You've done this many times. Do you remember how many times did you take a test in class, in some class that you had no interest in, and then, oh well, you forget it, right? And in long-term memory, it's just not there. Well, it's because you didn't repeat it. You didn't use repetition and you didn't do one more thing. You didn't challenge yourself to retrieve that memory. You see, if you studied something 
for the short term only to get through a test, but you did not then apply it and continue to use it, you did not require your brain to retrieve the information. Long-term memory requires a practice in the retrieval. So you might have um, studied something in your in your youth that you were well aware of, and you might have um, been very well versed in it. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, I I used to sew quite a bit, and then I stopped sewing for years. When I went back to sewing, I really had to kind of start in a much more basic way than where I had finished when I quit sewing because I wasn't retrieving that information. I wasn't retrieving the physicality of it and I wasn't retrieving the um, the problem solving of it. Sewing requires you know some problem solving kinds of abilities. So in long-term memory, you can memorize a list of words. But if you want to improve long-term memory, you have to play with it. So if you had a list of words and you memorize that list of words and you then require several tasks around that list of words. So let's say you've got a list of uh, seven different colors, words for seven different colors. You know, red, blue, yellow, um, green, orange, and purple, and I don't know, crimson, and cauliflower. I don't know, something. And, and you, you memorize those words. But then what you would do is you rearrange them in your mind. So you might rearrange them according to um, an alphabetical order. Then you might rearrange them according to the length of the word, shortest to longest. You might uh, rearrange them according to um, how they blend on a color wheel. You can do many, many different things, but what you're doing is you keep familiarizing yourself with that list of words until it's very well ingrained, and that improves your long-term memory of those words. You can also utilize um, changing the modality of the word. If you have a series of numbers and you have difficulty remembering the numbers as they are, you might see each number as the word that spells out that number. And then once again, arrange them according to length, you know, the length of the word, arrange them according to um, an alphabetical order, arrange them according to um, the shortest to the longest. Um, uh, moving those those words around in your mind multiple times, not putting them on paper, but actually doing it in your mind so that you are forcing your mind to create patterns around the memorization of that particular list of words. Now, okay, a list of words of colors right now is nonsensical, but if you have that ability, you can use it in things that you need to remember people's names, phone numbers, things for your work that you have to remember. This applies once you have the pattern of how to do it. Do you remember those uh, teachers that you had in school, usually the ornery ones who would suddenly surprise you with a pop quiz? Remember how much you hated that? 
they were doing you a favor. Because the challenge of retrieving improves your long-term memory. So testing, not just reading and reviewing and repeating it, that doesn't work for long-term memory. It's the challenge of having to retrieve it through testing that improves it. Okay, so we're talking about puzzles. And sometimes you come upon puzzles and you're you're a little frustrated and you don't like um, or you don't know what to do. Well, here, I'm going to give you some hints. They're taken right out of the book. He's really good. I mean, he he tells you how to solve the puzzles before he gives you too many challenges and too many puzzles. And understand that the puzzle might be more difficult or more challenging initially. As you learn to do puzzles, you will get better at doing puzzles. And when you learn to do puzzles and get better at doing puzzles, you will be better at problem solving in life. So, the hints that uh, Dr. Restack um, offers in the book are, first of all, read the instructions twice. That's right, twice. Because sometimes instructions are confusing. Sometimes we misread the direction and we go in the wrong wrong place to solve the puzzle. Especially if you struggle to solve the puzzle, go back and reread the instructions because maybe you misunderstood. So what is the goal of the puzzle? As you read the instructions, get an understanding of what's the goal, what's the point, what is the basic problem in that that you are attempting to solve. Do you remember the poem or the um, the child's problem? As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack contained seven cats. Each cat had seven kits. How many were going to St. Ives? Well, what was the original question? How many were going to St. Ives? What's the instruction? You're looking for how many are going to St. Ives. Well, only one person said, I as I was going to St. Ives. The answer is one. So many people in hearing that will add up all the kittens and cats and sacks and people and, and come up with an incredible number, but it was only one. What is the goal of the puzzle? Before you attempt to solve the puzzle, assess the challenge of the puzzle. Is this a hard puzzle or an easy puzzle? Is it interesting to you or boring? Is it familiar or is it strange? Does it invite you or does it intimidate you? Be aware of that challenge because it allows you, it doesn't mean you walk away from it. Just because it's a hard puzzle doesn't mean you walk away. It means that you might take a different approach. You might have to break it down into something a little easier to do. So try something. Just get started. Even if it doesn't work at first, it's the action. Remember, we're back to that. Take the action. And even if you just guess, figure out what worked and what didn't work. And when you figure out what didn't work, it gives you a platform to begin to pursue another solution because you know the one that didn't work. Be persistent. That's right. Keep it up. Keep trying. Each attempt that that doesn't work 
is an element that teaches you what will work. So each attempt that doesn't work teaches an element of what will work. So it's not a failure. It's a learning. And that's very, very important. Be systematic. That's right. So you have to teach yourself to use the discipline of an orderly approach. And the more complex or the more possible solutions that exist for a problem, the more that you need a systematic solution. You see, when you have lots of different possibilities, you have to keep track of the possibilities you tried that didn't work. Or in, in other puzzles, like you've seen the, the puzzle that has, it's a square and it has 16 squares inside of it. And the directions are, how many squares are there in this puzzle? Well, if you don't systematically go through and in a very orderly fashion to count those, you're going to miss them. The answer, by the way, is 30. Figure it out. <laughs> so if you're not systematic with that, you'll lose it. You'll miss it. Be efficient as you solve your puzzle. What is the simplest or the most logical way to get into this puzzle? What will give, what will require the least amount of effort for the most proge- progress? I'm thinking of jigsaw puzzles. I love jigsaw puzzles. I, I lived and breathed jigsaw puzzles for some period of my life. And to the point that my brother and I got so good at them that we had a rule that you could not move a piece unless you knew exactly where it went. So the pieces had to be laid on the table and you didn't touch a piece, you didn't pick it up unless you knew exactly where it went. And it it taught us spatial recognition. I can pack a, a car with 20 th- items. I can I can pack any vehicle because I can see how things lay in together from that training that I had when I was a young girl. So what's the the simplest and most logical entry into a jigsaw puzzle? It is to create the frame first and then put the center in because that gives you the most progress. It gives you a sense of where things are positioned. And so it is the most efficient way to do a puzzle. It's not the only way, but as you're solving puzzles, you're looking for the efficiency of what will require the least amount of effort and give me the greatest amount of progress. And finally, simplify it. Break it down into smaller components. Make it fewer pieces. Sometimes a puzzle is too many things to manage at once, so you break it down into half of what they're asking or a part of what the question is so that you can figure it out in a in a smaller more comprehensible way and then magnify it to the to the whole okay so we're about to go on break let me give you one more puzzle okay i'm going to give you two items a wine glass and a piece of paper an ordinary piece of stationery And I'm going to ask you, using those two items, balance a full wine glass at least four inches off the table using only that piece of stationery. Go ahead, figure it out. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Is your body running on empty? Water is the main fuel source for your body, but are you getting enough? What about quality of the water you drink? Tap water usually contains many known contaminants, and bottled water is considered dead water by many of today's health experts. So what's the solution? Mineral-rich alkaline water. Mineral-rich alkaline water solves the problems of acidity, poor hydration, and nutrient deficiencies in the body. Your body needs water, and the quality of the water you drink can make a big difference in the health and well-being of your body. Why risk the potential dangers of tap or bottled water when you can give yourself the proven health benefits of mineral-rich alkaline water? Ready to make a difference in your health? Go to hydratefeelgreat.com and get your free trial of this amazing product. Let us help you discover the difference this mineral-rich alkaline water can make in your health. Again, that's hydratefeelgreat.com for your free trial. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to What Matters with Mary Beth Lodge. To be a part of our discussion on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to marybethlodge at gmail.com. Now back to What Matters. Good morning. Thank you for joining me this morning on What Matters. We're playing with puzzles as a way to improve your brain this morning. And I have now given you three puzzles. I promise I will give you the answers at the end of this show. But in the meantime, I hope you're still playing with them and working on them. Because as you work on those puzzles, you are changing your brain. Now, we were talking about some hints to... Um, improve your ability to complete a puzzle. Now, I'm going to skip over a couple of these that are in the book, but the one that I think is most important was the last one in the list that he gave, which was to get help. If you really cannot solve a puzzle, if you've tried and you just can't come up with how to do this, you know what his suggestion is? Read the answer. That's right. Because the best way to learn how to do a puzzle is to see how the puzzle is solved. And so you can read the answer and then go on to the next puzzle. There's a wonderful puzzle in um, in the chapter on creativity, and I just love this. And I'm going to move into talking about creativity now. But there is a puzzle that very specifically pushes the brain to not use logic. So I've given you all of these suggestions and hints of how to, to uh, solve puzzles and to do it systematically and efficiently and pretty much using that left side of your brain. And all of a sudden in the creativity chapter, I'm going to say to you, it's time to not use the logical part of your brain. See, the front part of your brain, the logical thinking, planning part of your brain, that part of your brain will solve a puzzle by planning it, by simulating it, by deciding and evaluating. And that will work for many puzzles. But that may thwart your ability to find a solution if the solution requires creativity. Because the frontal lobe of your brain will lock onto a solution 
even though it's unsuccessful, even though you've tried it many times, and it will stay there. And you will absolutely filter out a more obvious but unconventional solution, which is why I've been giving you puzzles all through the morning to give you a way to think differently. So creativity, a creative solution to a problem, requires intuition, that sudden knowing that comes not from the logical sequential portion of the brain, but from, there's another part of your brain, from, it's actually the front of your temporal lobe, so the front of the sides of your brain which is the imaginal, descriptive part of the brain. It's the part of our brain that becomes active when we're telling a story or when we're describing something verbally. That's the part of our brain that lights up and becomes active. And the interesting thing is that in brain studies, on brain scans, um, when someone is about to solve a problem, when a creative, intuitive kind of knowing comes to them, that portion of the brain, that anterior temporal lobe, lights up a few seconds before they have that aha moment. Oh, I got it. That's right. So we know that that's the part of the brain that is activated. So in creativity, one of the things that we do to stimulate creativity is to look at different ways that we can see the same thing. So um, a, a typical exercise to improve divergent thinking, meaning that you can see many solutions to a problem, is to take a simple object, a paperclip, a brick, a cup, and write down a list of 10 uses for that object. And when you're done with that list of 10, start again and do another 10. And start again and do another 10, forcing your brain to be more and more and more creative in how to use that object. And, you know, I'm not talking about, okay, you take a brick and you can build many things from a brick. No, I'm talking about different ways that you could use a brick. You could use it as a hammer. You could use it as a, a step up. You could use it as a paperweight. You could use it to... Um, uh, make an imprint in the mud. You could, um, you could use it to scrape on cement and draw with it. See, you can use it as many, many different things. How do you do that? Well, you allow your brain to come up with many, many different ideas for the same object. There is, um, a- another activity for divergent thinking, which is to take um, to take multiple drawings of the same basic shape. So if I gave you a, a paper and it had 30 circles on it, draw in each one of those using straight lines, draw each circle so that it is different. 30 is a big number. You'd have to become very, very creative. You might take a straight line and, and put and just... Uh, dissect one circle and it's two halves. You might crisscross in different ways. You might um, put one across a third or one across um, just a, a tiny little sliver. You would do it in many, many different ways. You can do the same thing in, in terms of a drawing. You know, sometimes you see this in some of the social media where someone will post a picture and they say, you know, uh, write a caption for this picture. Well, I would say find a picture and make yourself write at least three captions for the same picture, no matter what it is. 
So these are all ways that you can begin to expand your brain, expand your creativity, expand and improve your memory, your uh, rapidity of thought. Um, you want to get even more creative. There's a, a term called ambigrams. Ambigrams are visually, it's a word that you write and you actually kind of draw it. And visually, it is the same whether it's right side up or upside down. So if you think of the word chump and you write the word chump in lowercase cursive letters, leaving the circle of the P open slightly, when you flip it around and look at it upside down, it will still spell the word chump. So you can play with this. You know, the word vista, that's really easy. If you write the word vista in just the right way and flip it upside down, you can it can look the same, right side up or upside down. That's an ambigram. You can play with your name. You can play with different words. Now, if your name, like mine, is very long, you're going to have some challenges in how to do this. But you have to be creative, you see, about how you draw the letters so as to make it the same, upside down or right side up. And this would be, again, a challenge to your creativity, a way to expand and work your brain to be more creative. All right, so we're getting close to the close of this show, and I've given you three different puzzles. We started out this morning, the first puzzle were two five-letter words. The first one ends with the letter P. The second ends with the letter H. The first four letters are all the same. I could have given you one more hint and told you that the first letter was a C. Would that have helped? The answer to that puzzle, clasp and clash. That's right. The first four letters are C-L-A-S. One letter difference. I love these. They're so fun, but they require a lot of recall of words um, and words that are look or are similar in spelling. Okay, the second puzzle. Six pieces of paper. The top of each piece of paper overlaps only one other piece of paper and the bottom of each piece of paper only overlaps one other piece of paper. When you get done doing that, it will be a circle. That's right. They will lay out in a perfect circle. And the third puzzle, you remember? The third puzzle was to balance a full wine glass at least four inches off the table using an ordinary piece of stationery. Now, you might have thought that if you simply rolled that stationery into a tube, that that might work. But I'm here to tell you, you will have wine all over the table. The circle is not strong enough. If you take that piece of paper and you fold it accordion style and then create your circle, you will have a star-shaped tube and the folds will create more strength sufficient to hold that wine glass four inches off the table. So, all right, I've given you the answers and my challenge to you now is challenge your brain. <laughs> Challenge your brain with puzzles. Make yourself think more and allow yourself 
to be smarter, to have more access to your creativity through the use of puzzles. This is your day today. Appreciate it. Appreciate the time that you have. Appreciate the incredible gift you have in your own brain and make use of that brain today. This is your challenge. This is your day. Make it a great day. You truly deserve it. Thanks again for joining us for What Matters. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll help you continue to make a difference next week.